When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. Hello and welcome to episode 155 of Puddle Rooney, mate. And on this episode, I'm talking to Carl McDermott, who wrote a book called 58% Cabbage, which is out now. An absolutely hilarious book. And uh, he did a lot of comedy back in the day, did stand up in the Comedy Cellar where many of the big Irish acts of the time came from, like Ardla Hanlon, Dylan Moran, not Moran, you know, Dylan Moran and uh, Tommy Tiernan. Uh, all all gigged in there. So uh, I'll be chatting to him and I apologise, I haven't put out a podcast for quite a while, but I've been... Just flat out. I actually started college in DCU uh, in September. So I've been... Also, the gigs have come back uh, a full tilt. And so I've been up to my eyes, getting my head around college. My first time in college ever. And uh, just getting my head around the whole uh, the whole thing. And uh, doing assignments and uh, reading. And yeah, it's, it's full on. I'm kind of getting a, a, my head around it now. So... And uh, and I'm using the college equipment to edit this very podcast because I'm doing multimedia in DCU. And uh, it was a decision I made during lockdown. I, I always wanted to go to college and uh, at first I was thinking of doing philosophy and, and I thought, well, hang on a minute. Let's do something that actually is useful in my in my general career so uh did multimedia and it does mean i suppose that i uh, i'm learning all those things that i are behind the camera or behind the microphone or whatever producing sound production video editing photography as well as theory uh history and of media but it's absolutely brilliant i love it i love it and my fellow students although they're young enough to be my kids uh all of them, probably yes. I uh, they're fantastic, and and they're, when I'm struggling with the technology, they're very helpful. And if they need advice on something, I'm there for them as well. It's really brilliant, and I've been to a few good gigs. Richard Thompson there a couple of nights ago in Vicker Street, absolutely brilliant. What a songwriter! What a singer! What a guitarist as well playing the acoustic but absolutely amazing stuff 
sat at the back. Thank you to Aikens for uh, getting me into that gig. There was a fella just three uh, seats up from me who talked to his mate for the whole show, for the whole show. That always does my head and I cannot understand why people go to a gig uh, for a chat. But there you go. That uh, it happens, doesn't it? And um, it's slightly annoying. And tonight I'm going to see Modern Love, a band uh, that my son is in. He plays bass and keyboards with them. And they're doing really well. They sold out a gig in the Workman's Club. They're doing a gig in London in a couple of weeks' time. They're supporting We Are Scientists up in Belfast and some other gig support gig they've got in the Button Factory. So they're doing really well. Uh, Looking forward to that. That's it. Um, Let's uh, have a listen to this chat with the wonderful... Carl McDermott. Hi, Carl. Listen, love the book. Absolutely brilliant book. I'm really glad you like it, John. And, and, uh, it's set in Galway. So, did you grow up in Galway? I did grow up in Galway. I was born in. Uh, I was born in Galway. I grew up in Saltill, which is the, the. Uh, I suppose it's the one that they all use now for library footage of stormy seas coming in from the, the Atlantic as the global warming catastrophe approaches. Um, yeah, I grew up in Saltill, Dillysfoot Road, and I left uh, Galway. After I was in uh, an ill-fated three years in college doing commerce, which I hated, I came to Dublin in late 84, a mere boy and a beardless youth at the age of 21. And then did you uh, do stand-up fairly quickly from that? Not really. I sort of arsed around as people our generation. I think we're the same demographic, Joe, are we? <laughs> yes. the same. Uh, I kind of arsed around. I, did, I was in Trinity College illegally for a few months in the sense of I was in players pretending to be doing a, a course in, in Trinity because there's actually a rule. You can't be in players. Uh, they're, they're, they're a drama group unless you're, in, unless you're doing a course. So I just lied. So for about six months, I was in plays and I loved it. And you know who outed me was the film critic of the Irish Times, now Donald Clark. He found out that I wasn't in Trinity and they read me the rule book and I was out. But I always loved performing from my time in college. So I had this kind of urge to perform. And I always loved comedy from an early age, watching the old black and white movies on one channel land in, in the west of Ireland. So I loved Bob Hope, Laurel and Hardy, Danny Kaye, the Marx Brothers and all those other ancient acts that RT used to show because they used to show any contemporary stuff uh, in the late 70s anyway. So my kind of I just got the performing bug and I sort of didn't really do much but then in 87 88 I started doing little shows in the international upstairs this was actually pre the comedy cellar and through that I met Barry Murphy and a few of the boys and we and the first comedy cellar uh, gig that was actually structurally organized was February 88 now this is before yourself turned up which would have been about 1990 if memory serves me correct we did an improv course together, I think the summer in 1990. Yeah. A guy called John Gordillo from London came over to do it with a guy called Simon Clayton and myself, yourself, and Paul Tylak and Trellis. And there's a few yeah. actresses, Palm Boyd, uh, Gina Moxley, uh, who's now a successful playwright. Jura uh, Ryan was in it. There was a kind of a... Yeah. And Jane Snow, my good friend, who sadly passed away about 20 years ago. 
So there's a whole motley crew of us, but we were all into comedy and performing, and there was no structure in those days. So even then, there was, uh, you know, there wasn't much happening. And Billy McGrath, he did set up a, a circuit around that time. So we we got to do a few gigs. Remember, there was a big one in the Olympia. Uh, do you remember all this? Was this your yes. six, was this your sixties? <laughs> no, I do remember. Uh, there was yeah. a gig in Dunleary. There was in the, the Party Loft, Party Loft. Yeah. and there was one in Whelan's. Whelan's was a big supporter of that structure. That's right, and there was one, I think there's one in Bray for a yeah, while. Yeah, there was. You're right, there was. And, and you, you and Paul, you, the Quack Squad used to do a fair few. Me, you. It was basically me, you, Dermot Carmody. Sorry, me, the Quack Squad, yourselves. As we were the Quack Squad. Trellis, and then Trellis doing solo bits. Trellis is Arden Hanlon, Kevin uh, Gildee, and Barry Murphy, yeah. for anyone that doesn't uh, you're, know that. You're right. You're and right. Dermot Carmody. And of course, and he'd become a kind of a, he was he was in Trellis and he'd kind of gone solo. And Alex Lyons, of course, was, was starting off at that stage as you well. You said you did a few gigs before the yeah. Comedy Cellar started. So yeah. what, was that a comedy show? Yeah, kind yeah. of like little one-man comedy show, kind of maybe five or six sketches not really stand up, more me in a situation. Like, you know, the one I used to do ad nauseum for about 10 years, me stuck on the bus and everyone would go, oh, for fuck's sake, he's not doing that one again. Well, anyways, I used to do something like that. It was like me in a situation. Yeah. And if you do five or six of those, that's a half an hour. So I used to do the lunchtime in the International. And I did two or three of those little shows. And actually, some of them ended up being in the show. I did a show on the Peacock then. I did one on the Bale Book, which, of course, I've sort of led to a lot of uh, venues uh, kicking the dust, basically. There's so many venues I played, they're no longer there. <laughs> yeah. The Vale Book is gone. Andrews Lane, gone. Whereas, and the City Arts Centre, which I think you probably gigged as well, that's gone. Yeah. A lot of these venues. Anyways, I did a show in the Bale Book called Memoirs of a Midget, and that was kind of a greatest hits compilation of the little shows I'd done in the International the previous year. So I was kind of doing my own thing. And then the circuit happened, and I said, great, I can do my best 20 minutes as a stand-up. That was basically it. But yeah. I was more acting. I, mean, I, I kind of dabble between disciplines. I, I loved acting as well. And then I was in the stand-up. But I kind of, I suppose there's more of versatility in performance. I suppose we were a bit like that. Even Paul Tylek and myself. It was the same thing. It wasn't just stand-up. I think, I think the way the industry went, uh, if you did stand-up and you zoned in on stand-up and you kind of, you almost maximized your limitations. That's That was the way to go if you looked at it the way it panned out. Whereas when we were starting, it was like, it actually mirrored a bit like London in the late 70s when the comedy store in London started. There was all these kind of crazy acts, really. It just undefined, indefinable acts. Whereas in 89, we were, we were 10 years behind London. But as the same thing happened, the industry kind of became more homogenized and it became very stand-up centric. So I think a lot of the, I suppose, the more, the, the crazier elements kind of went by the wayside because there's just no room for them. It became... Yeah, I think uh, that's a pity. It is a pity, yeah. It's it is the harder thing to do is to bring that kind of act to different venues. Yeah. Stand up stand up works in different you know, yeah. you're able to yeah. do it in bad venues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh oh it's such a pity that uh, in fact there was very little stand up. There was very little stand-up, but in a way, yeah. like, I'm thinking, like, yeah, I used to work a lot on those. And I'm thinking, well, maybe it's because it was we were only four acts and they had to have someone else to fill the bill. But there was very little stand-up, but it was much more variety. I mean, you and, I mean, the, the Quack Squad, you did the music, you did the parodies, you did the songs. So, like, the bill was interesting, and Trellis did all sorts of things. And this is Barry Murphy, Arlo Hanlon, Kevin Gilly. You know, they did little sketches, they did the, the, yeah. the, the satire on Tales of the Unexpected, which, of course, is a very dated reference now, and... You know, so it, 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 there was room for doing. You were kind of searching to do because we were all enthousi- enthusiastic. I wanted to get up there. Whereas now, yeah. if you're starting off now, it's like, well, I have to do my, my eight minutes of really tight, 
one-liner stand-up, you know? Yeah. And you can't afford to fail. That's another thing. I think, I mean, we could afford to fail because, well, you can do next week because we only have two acts next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> Whereas, right. like, nowadays, if you fail, it's like London. I mean, I went to London in the mid-90s. I mean, I, maybe I probably went too late, of just too getting on tubes, did my head in. But the thing is, like, you, you do you do well in a gig and they go, yeah, right, we'll, uh, we'll have you again uh, March next year. Yeah. I said, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that was doing well. And if you did badly in a gig, it's like, you know, and OK, you're right. It's 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 a much tougher environment. But the point is here over here it was more laid back in the late 80s, early 90s. And you did have room to fail. And mm. I suppose it was just, yeah, it was much more laid back. So the, there wasn't as much pressure because we, we none of us really knew where we were going. And some of us went somewhere and some of us just stayed in the kitchen and stared at walls. That's me, actually. but <laughs> And me. <laughs> Yeah, but um, it did give rise to a lot of really interesting acts in, in the Britain. Yeah. You know, I don't think Sean Locke, sadly, died oh, no, recently, no. but he, wouldn't, uh, he, he would have found it hard now, I think, because yeah, he's such I remember an I met, Yeah, I met Sean years and years ago in Belfast, because remember there was a Belfast circuit about 93, or there was a wee Northern Ireland circuit, don't run well. a guy called... Uh, what was his name? It was something Michael Hatton, and there was another fellow, the, the playwright Martin. Um, I can't remember his name. He's quite a successful playwright out there. They ran sort of Martin Lynch is the guy's name. They ran alternate circuits, mm. and I met Sean like, and he was just starting off, maybe ninety three. And I mean, and even then, I saw him doing a uh, show in Edinburgh. I think it was with uh, Bill Bailey. Yeah. Bill, the Rubber Bishops, they were called. Bill Bailey used to do an act with the guy. And it was, he, there were the rubber bishops and yeah. Sean Locke was the other guy. So I, so I remember Sean years and years ago. And you're right. I think he had the freedom to find, to, I mean, obviously he was a brilliant, brilliant act, but he had the freedom to, to yeah, just to find what he was really good at. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, do you have the time and that freedom to find the thing? Because it's so pressurised now because there's so many flipping comedians out there. Jo. Everybody <laughs> wants to do it. But, but, but uh, you did Edinburgh then, yeah? I did. I did Edinburgh in 91, 93. You guys did it, I think, in 93. Remember? We were, well, we were a disaster in Edinburgh. <laughs> Edinburgh was very tough. The funny thing is my first year was really successful. I did a show called An Afternoon with Klaus Barbie's Pen Pal. Then my second year was kind of successful. I did a show called Monrovia, Monrovia. Then the third year was like, I did a thing called Stand Up Stories, which I thought actually was quite a good show. And I did, but like it was almost like diminishing marginal returns in the sense of there was less buzz and less people. It's kind of going. There's a trajectory here. Maybe I shouldn't fucking go again, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> because the first year I'd really, I mean, I really did a. I mean, it was a really good show in the Gilded Balloon and got a lot of buzz and some great reviews and oh, it was great, Joe. It's been down yeah. here since then, Joe. Down here since then. <laughs> <laughs> and did you? Uh... Uh, find it difficult then as the as the circuit changed well you see i suppose i mean when i think back and i kind of did it really i put all my energy into it from about 88 to 96 98 mm. and i love bringing you back into the conversation joe because you're the, the man who's organizing things but you ran the international comedy club on the thursday night in the international I, yeah, it yeah was, and i used to do a fair few of those you did have me, uh, yeah. it was called <laughs> the mad cow comedy club <laughs> that was it, yeah. which i loved that name and then and Bishop uh so i used to do that but even at that stage i was kind of getting you know you, you, if you if you're not moving forward what's that old line about the shark you're kind of you're dead are you I wasn't really moving yeah. forward. I wasn't, I suppose I wasn't really, re I was recycling too much old material. I guess mm. I would, Jesus, I guess I was lazy. <laughs> so when I, so like, I got kind of disillusioned with this. So I, I kind of packed it in by about 2000, 2001. The last gig I did, I was opening for Phil Kay on Middle Abbey Street. What's that venue? It's, it's not the Academy. It's the other one, the Wigwam now, I think. It's, 
It used to be called. It was the Spirit Club. It's called the uh, Twisted Pepper. What's yeah, it? The, right. And, uh, no, mm. or is it called the HQ? One of these. Spirit, the, oh yeah, 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 that yeah. Was it. yeah, yeah. And uh, this my, my old friend, a Galway chap, Noel McHale, who I knew in college, he was running it. Mm. But I remember I went on. I did really well. Like I was doing a persona called Johnny Scalacci. It was kind of my wise guy voice, you know, because I yeah. love the wise guys. And I did well. And then Phil Kay goes on, and he just like it's like a tsunami of laughter. I'm going. God, I'm sitting here going, geez, I don't think will I ever get that sort of reaction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, it's, what's, what am I doing with my life? So I, I kind of, so I, think I haven't done a gig for, for 20 years. Now, I've done yeah. reading since then. I mean, I still love performing, but, and also, you know, you start to, if you're starting to do an act, when you're starting to do it and the people, you're, you know, the youngsters on the bill are ref- referencing things, you have no idea what they're talking about. They're, they're, you're kind of going, Hmm. I must I must get more up to date with my references. No more uh, jokes about James Finlayson, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's really uh, weird because I'd say the first person who did that, David O'Doherty, was talking about something. I was like, "What is he talking about?" Yes. Like something to do with video games. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, and uh, I just think. If he, if he even did that now, no one would know what he was exactly. talking about. <laughs> younger, exactly. He, he's old. You know. It's a bit but like I, when you read, the, if you ever read the Irish Times rock reviews anymore, even I use the word rock. But you know, when you're reading about some band you've never heard of, but then they, they say, my biggest influence, and they reference someone else you've never heard of. Because usually influences are 20 years old. And, uh, you know, you're, you're yeah. kind of, you're, you're moving to a, I put it this way, Joe, the clock is not your friend. Yeah, 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 but you still hear uh, young comedians do say stuff about the Gardy and of stuff course, about yeah. the Irish Mother. You do hear yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. same old stuff. But uh, so, did you start writing um, around that time, around two thousand? I mean, I'm sure you yeah, always I mean, wrote. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I had a sitcom on uh, Radio Four, BBC Radio Four, in the late nineties, and which was big success. The Mahaffey's came out about the time of Father Ted, so we. We were kind of calling it Bally Kiss Angel meets The Simpsons was the, the tagline. Pauline McGlynn was in it as well, so that really helped the, the profile of it on, in, in the UK. And then so I kind of veered towards that. And I had loads of stuff on RT radio, Ahane in the early part of the century. I had Sirius has gone but forgotten. Here's Johnny. I I disinterred the Johnny Scalacci character. This voice was always in my head, Joe. And <laughs> so that, that, that ran for two seasons. I also had a few films and uh, film scripts in development hell, Joe. You know what that is, Joe, don't you? Yeah. It's like you're working on something for 20 fucking years, yeah. Joe. <laughs> keep changing it. Just tweak it a bit. Yeah. And they, they keep telling you to change it and they still don't want to. So I, I, then I started writing the books. Um, so that's that's basically it. Yeah. Um, well, I just I remember your... Uh, uh, what was it? If Scorsese had directed... Oh, Hamlet. Hamlet. That was it, yeah, That's yeah. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So, so, I've read the... Well, can I do it? Can I do the curse word? Can I do the... Absolutely. Well, Robert De Niro's Hamlet. Did you fuck my mother? I mean, that, that was... <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> that, was, that was the big line, yeah. Yeah, most people knew, knew, knew Hamlet. I mean, either... Well, I guess I think we did it in Leaving Cert. That's why I do it. But, uh, I did King I, Lear, actually. Oh, did you? Well, then mm. you're either a year younger than me or a year older. I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, that, that's uh, funny. Yeah, because you can, you can date people by... Yeah, my sister did Coriolanus, and that's 1978. I think, or 70. They've got rid of Coriolanus now. Oh, really? Geez, no one can make sense of it. But, yeah. Uh, yeah and King was, Lear was a good one for me, because uh, my father was had gone a bit mad. Okay. So I was reading... 
living my life. You could relate to it. And you could relate <laughs> and, to it, yeah. And uh, Wuthering Heights, I could relate to it. Because my, my house was a bit like that at home. And that's my home life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All this madness. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what, what were we talking about? But yeah, also the bit of De Niro killing me. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. Was, that, that was amazing. I had a hernia operation in 94 and yeah. like it was in the old Mead hospital and so like it wasn't great it wasn't the, the new modern ones where what's the, the bloody scope what's it called I don't know they, they go in very quickly mm. this was old style they kind of cut you open and stuff so it was a bit Crimean war but I remember like I came out of it and, and then a week later I had a gig in the cellar and I remember the doctor says take it easy like I says okay don't do anything stupid and I says grand so then I had, you know but then I had the gig like and I says like so it was about maybe uh, 10 days after the operation mm. I says well I do the gig I sure do the gig because I want to get out of the house like so I did the gig and of course I did the De Niro thing at the end because was, that was my kind of set piece uh, Scorsese doing Hamlet and I did the very end, the mad guys, they were always kicking like fucking lunatics. So I did it. I re- and I said, oh, Jesus, and he bloody scars. <laughs> I was worried I'd opened it up again. You know, I, was, I really, I said, oh, God, why? Why didn't I? Oh, I yeah. didn't think. I was just, and of course, it got lost. People are laughing. Yeah. And they're laughing. You do daft things because you're very sad, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get carried away. The yeah, adrenaline kicks in. Exactly. <laughs> Thankfully, it didn't reopen the scar, but I was actually, I said, that's flipping stupid, yeah. All right. I just had a hernia operation a month ago. Really? And the scar here, the scar to prove. Oh, lovely. That's very high up. Mine was down there. I sh- my scar's gone now because it was many years ago. So oh. I won't, we won't do the belly to belly thing. But <laughs> how come it's so high up? It's quite high. Oh, that's it, because it, they did it, the new no, version. Is that No, what? no, no. It was a bump that was sticking out. It's not your. I, okay. Since, I, had, since I, had, I was a child, I've always had this bump, but it started getting bigger. Okay. Possibly because I was doing a bit of weights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, it was like obvious. Yeah, it actually okay. made my torso look like a face. So okay. people go, oh yeah, there's two eyes, the nipples, oh, really? okay. nose. Okay. But it was a mouth. So okay, that's all I could see when Gee, I looked we, at we, the have, we, we, we have shared war stories. That's lovely. Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Anyway, let's, so the book is amazing. I really, yeah. uh, what's... Uh, it's okay, called 58% Cabbage. cabbage. <laughs> and uh, okay, what sticks out for me is the, the main character's father's hatred of... Irish pop culture, yeah. particularly Brandon Boyer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, just, it's just, if I suppose maybe I'm showing my, it's we're of the same age. That, yeah. that growing up in Ireland was. You see, we were the kind of the transitioning generation. Yeah. I mean, in the sense of we were we were still grow, brought up under the pretty strict, uh, you know, patrician, flippant Catholic church rules and. I mean, it was pretty miserable in the 70s for a yeah. teenager. I mean, it was joyless as well. I mean, unless you're super cool like you, Joe, you know. <laughs> no. I mean, just so not, I mean, also, for, I grew up in Galway, so we had one channel. So it was like the John Player tops the towns. It was yeah. like this, and it was like this obsession with the Irish language. And, you know, you go grand, lovely, this our culture, but there was a real overkill on that in the 70s. Yeah. And there was, there was no contemporary stuff. They couldn't do drama. They did one drama in, what, 77 called The Spike. They tried to keep, make it a bit edgy. And didn't some fella get a heart attack watching it? And the, 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 <laughs> Seriously, some right. League of Decency fella died of a heart attack when he saw a woman's nipple. And she was like an artist's model. It was some, so in other words, people, kids nowadays, I suppose people under the age of 40, they just, they have no idea. Because the country, thanks be to Jesus, has modernized so much in the last yeah. 30 years. But... So, yeah, so when the book reflects me growing up in one channel land, well, it's, it's one of the, the strands of the book, mm. and just the kind of, the, I suppose, the mediocrity of an awful lot of 
the chummy RTE kind of Tony Kenny and Brendan Grace, and they're all on each other's shows, plugging. But they flipping still do with though, John. <laughs> Who's yeah. on Tuberty last it hasn't Friday? Changed that? No, it, it hasn't changed that much no. anyway. But anyway, it was it's that kind of Joe Dolan who like my mum I thought was great, and mm. the rest of us, I think the jury was out and Joe, you know, Joe. So. <laughs> He's a good voice. He had a good voice, but unfortunately, there was a lot of the, I don't know, I just... I suppose uh, of all the of show them, band stuff, I mean, wasn't it? It was like, he was still kind of a show band singer. He, he could was. It, it could have been much better, but he, he, was, was, stu- more he was stuck here. He was stuck here, I suppose. Then, I mean, I'm talking, there was Big Tom, Larry oh, Cunningham. Oh, God. Margo. Philomena Begley. Philomena Begley. <clears throat> Gina, Davis, and the, the champions. champions. Oh my God! Oh God! Even saying it, Joe. Even saying it. Yeah. And I, I remember at uh, Larry Goggins' top twenty when um, my brother, who's five years older than me, every time the next song was uh, announced, he got so angry he took it out on me because you know we're listen- we're waiting for Queen or the mm, Jacksons yeah, or yeah, yeah. even the Eagles, yeah. anything. But it'll be and uh, number sixteen. It's Big Tom with my lovely mammy or something. Yeah, whatever. that's obviously my lovely Mayo mammy is what uh, Father Ted. Yeah, did. Uh, it was horrible. It yeah. was awful. It was awful. There was no choice. And, and, and the yeah. trouble is, the, the the reception, the radio reception was dreadful. For for you know, you couldn't get the English on Radio Luxembourg. You know, you just could you go what 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 was that? Yeah, and they had of course I think um, two FM coming at ya which came on the scene in April or August 79. That's the RT2 now, the, the second channel. That made things a bit better. You know, they, mm. they, they actually acknowledged, hey, there's pop music. I mean, before that, on RT Radio 1, there was a fellow called Ken Stewart who used to do an hour of contemporary music. I think it was Thursday oh, nights. Yeah. There's very few people. That Balf, did. what's his name? Brenda Balf, Brenda used, to do, Balf. He used to do a comedy show. Well, he ended up doing a comedy show on, on RT2 that first year, which was great. He had extracts mm. of Monty Python and the Goons and stuff and... Uh, what's his name? Um, Kenneth Horn, stuff like that, which I wouldn't have heard. So early English, early sixties English humor was quite funny. But yeah, I mean, there was very few uh, contemporary rock shows on RTE radio, and then they the pressure hit, and then they had to bring in uh, RTE two in seventy nine uh, August, I think it was. So yeah, so in the the book, there's great stuff about gay burn. It's just so funny. <laughs> I don't want to give it away, but. Um, yeah. He caused a lot of conflict in houses around the country, yes. Between that, women, uh, between mothers and fathers, yes. A lot of the fathers hated him because a lot of the, the mothers loved him, you know. It's, it, it's the old, um, you know, it's talking to Shakespeare again. It would be more Othello-esque, you know, the yeah. jealousy, you know. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of people. I mean, a lot of men just said, oh, you feck off with that. And, of course, women who go, no, Uncle Gabriel will... And he had them for the days, because he had the radio. He had the radio show at uh, half nine to half uh, twelve, and the ra- yeah. uh, uh, RT radio in the mornings. So they all listened to him. So he kind of had them. Whereas the men were out doing the work. I hear. Maybe. Yeah. And were you? Did you ever do the Late Late Show? With- Actually, I tell you what. Now I'll tell you a true story, Joe. I did the warm up for the Late Late Show yeah. <laughs> in '87. And uh, it was actually it was before even trellis. I was just so I just said, "Great, I'll do this." He was looking for people to do warm ups, so I did the warm up. And uh, afterwards, he kind of—I uh, mean, okay, I had no flipping act, and a lot of my stuff was kind of 
purloined. Just that's a fancy word for stolen, you know. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I mean, it was very basic times, Joe. I mean, even I can do the joke in the book about you know. I didn't steal stuff. I was a covers comedian, you know, you know <laughs> paying tribute to cover, you know, like like the, mu- the musical cover acts pl- uh, tri- played tribute to the, the real act. So anyways, I did about five minutes and it was about the 20 past nine, you know, you were kind of going, just the weather forecast is on, I better go off now. So Gabe Gay Byrne came up to me and he says, hmm, not bad. Not great, but not bad. Really? <laughs> yeah, it was like sort of... Yeah. Uh, it was, he was saying, no, he knew his stuff and he wasn't, you know, I mean, to give him his due over the years, he was a, he was a great pro, he was, yeah, he was, and, and, he and did I mean, like he loved comedy. He mm. did like, he did like comedy. Yeah. But I think in those days, it, it was like uh, people doing any sort of not modern comedy, but like don't forget, like who was there in those days? It was Hal Roach. It mm. was so it was very much an idea of what comedy was, and yeah. like we were starting off, we kind of changed things a little bit. You were saying, sorry, I interrupted you. So what I was saying, myself and Paul uh, yeah. Tyler, as the Quack Squad, a double actor, we did uh, a warm up for the Late Late Show. And the the particular episode was about the dole and people on the mm-hmm. dole and uh, uh, how, what was that like or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and we stormed it. Yeah. So he was like, next week, you, you're doing a slot next week. Lovely. But <laughs> we went on and they had the old typical or uh, late late show oh, I audience guess, yeah, yeah. They, in, they just don't get it they didn't get it they not only did not get it I think they hated us yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the one yeah yeah because <laughs> yeah, there were have you ever seen shots I mean Barry Murphy used that a lot I think and wasn't he doing something at some was a couch you know use use reaction shots of the late late show audiences over the years yeah, because they hadn't been trained to laugh at stuff that's a little bit modern. Yeah. So they were pretty, pretty tough, yeah. Yeah, they were horrible. And yeah. they looked gay, in fact. They were all yeah, they were, looking yeah, gay. Yeah, yeah. If he gave a laugh, Yeah, you're right. Laugh. It's the emperor. Yeah, it's... it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's. But uh, they... There was also that hatred on their fa- some of their faces. Yeah. Like, what, the, what kind of rubbish yeah, is yeah, this? Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. That, that kind of was prevalent. In it's pretty those. weird, actually. You'll find uh, when you're doing uh, comedy for as long as me, anyway, that... Uh, he started off as the rebel. <laughs> People thought, "What's this?" You know, <laughs> and uh, and now you, you, the younger, some of the young comedians look at you as if you're some old husband. <laughs> and you go, "Hang on, <laughs> I was, you know, just because I am a heterosexual and not like." Gender fluid or something like that. You mean, Just, yeah. I mean, like, you know we're, I mean? we're the last. We see, we're not oppressed. You can moan, but the, but the, the white middle aged man moaning is not an oppressed minority. So he doesn't have any. It's not. But I felt really depressed, uh, yeah. oppressed, gro- uh, growing up. Yeah, you're right. But I don't think really, I, I but don't think our, really... I don't think our oppression is on the oppression scale. No. That's the thing. That's no. why even when I wrote this book, I kind of went, okay, it's a bit Nick Hornby esque, ninety five, middle aged, feckless sort of fella. Bit kind of mooching around, not really happy the way his life's going. People are going to go, yeah, but it's not. It's 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 the anti zeitgeist because it's not gender fluid. The main character isn't a, a Caribbean, you know. You know, it's so yeah. it's a very it's a very strange era for, um, I suppose, the old and even if you look at comedy now, it's 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 a, it's the era of the woman. And I don't want to. I mean, and then fair Jews, they waited long enough. Yeah, yeah I mean, Sharon yeah. Horgan seems to be. I mean, contractually obliged to be in everything that's yeah. made but uh, but I, she's brilliant I'm of I'm okay with that that's the way it is yeah. I mean probably, oh, no, I, I hate going down this kind of conversation rabbit hole because people think oh you're, you know you like Trump I said of course not but I just think when I was writing, writing the book I was kind of going 
it's not zeitgeist, and I know that. You know, it's yeah. it's kind of middle-aged man thinking back in Galway in the seventies, and yeah. he's a bit flippin' lost. And funny things hopefully happen to him, and the le- the reader has his big smile on their face at the at the end of page two hundred and eighty-seven. Isn't that right, Joe? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, I can identify with the uh, procrastinator type of character because yeah. I'm sh- I know I've done that for most of my twenties. Yeah. Is that come a little bit? Of course. Yeah. I mean, passive men, it's, it's, it's the curse of the passive man. Kind of, yeah. Dreadfully. <laughs> Sitting down to write with a pen and a notebook and just doing nothing. Like, yeah. so I've got the whole day now. I'll write some. Yeah. One joke. No, nothing, nothing. Of course, staring at walls, being distracted. And of course, what's worse now? Masturbating. Mas- masturbating and contemplating and ruminating <laughs> and masturbating. <laughs> but the, what's worse now is... It's the internet. It's the old, and seriously, I don't know how anyone writes that anymore. Because if you've got a, an I, or a, a laptop that's connected and you've got, of course, you've got your broadband now, so you're not waiting for four minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, in the old days, you say, I can't think of Anne. And you might actually turn on a tape recorder and try and do a voice or talk talk something through as a creative process. And maybe you come up with something. Mm. You'd make more effort. But I think nowadays you kind of go, can't think of Anne. Okay, well, so what's happening in the news? can't think of Anne. Okay, so what, you know, it's just, it's a total distraction. Okay, so then people would introduce the word discipline. Did you ever hear a discipline, you know, don't have, don't work on your laptop, but you can't go back to the old days of scrolling with the the, the feather pen on, on the old uh, parchment or, you, or even yeah. whatever. You can't go back to that, you know, so. No. Well, the, the, the best cure for procrastinating is have book a gig, I suppose, and go, I'm going to do five new minutes. I yeah, to, I guess so. The character in your book does that doesn't help him in any no, way. No, it doesn't. It doesn't whatsoever. No. <laughs> it's really uh, yeah. And did you did you do the when you went over to London? Did you have to start off like just doing these little yeah, five the, minutes? The, the, yeah, the open spots. And yeah. did you live there? Or? I did. Thankfully, I had friends. Or um, my, my wife Dagmar had friends in Harrow, so yeah. I was very lucky in that sense. I yeah. had a base. But, uh, but you actually lived there for a while instead of I was going there, back I, No, I went, well, I went, when I was in London from about, I suppose, uh, October 94 to probably September 95. So I gave it a year. Now, I did come back here and do gigs in the cellar mm. and kind of pick up my, I think there was a thing called my tail. It was crawling up between my legs. Mm. No, it was, it was just because I found London really tough. I think, looking back, I think I probably left it a little bit late. Uh, mm. You kind of have to go over, because my, my big move was from Galway to Dublin. You know, I think, I mean, maybe a lot of people make one big move in their life. Whereas people from Dublin, if they move to London, that's their big move. And you, I mean, you know, you're, you're kind of drowning in a new place for a few years. I mean, Dublin for me, and when we were in Galway in the 70s, Dublin was like a metropolis. A metropolis. It was like, mm. Wow. You know, whereas it's it's a village when you compare it to say London. Yeah. I mean, you know, London, London, and of course Dublin. You miss the whole thing about going for a few drinks afterwards after a gig, right? You go across the road to the Foggy Jew or wherever it was yeah. in those days, or Blazes. Or oh yeah. You pay you, you pay uh, sixty, pay thirty quid for a bottle of champagne and snort it. I don't know what. You, yeah. I mean, that was the bad old days. But like London, it was never any sort of communal thing because it's like, well, I got to go now. I'm going all the way up to bloody East End. You know, it's like, and you, you're just wondering, oh, can I get home from Luton? Will someone give me a lift or will I be? St- you know, yeah. really, it's so huge. Yeah. So I found all that a bit tough, and I just. Uh, so I mean, I went to London. I wrote uh, a, a chapter about it in. in um, in 58% cabbage, but my, my friends didn't kick me out, but in this chapter mm. they do. They just say, 
you're here too long and you're not doing that. Yeah, I think I like for some people it. it, it well, for very few, I mean, for Ardell, I guess, is the success story. He was only there about a month and he got cast in Father <laughs> Ted. And Dylan, of course, but Dylan oh, was Dylan. so young and so precocious. And he went, I mean, he only was on the scene in the international for about a year. Because yeah. he already knew, A, he was only 21, and B, he says, go to London. So, and he moved up very fast. Of course, one of the big ones was the So You Think You're Funny. If you won that in Edinburgh, that was the that was the, the big early uh, talent um, award that propels you. And I think Dylan, yeah. won that. Dylan won that in 93. So. Yeah, there's another th- part of the book. Well, as, as it gets towards the end, we start, well, and actually throughout it, there's, there's death. Right? Yeah. And uh, I guess uh, we're at an age where you start <laughs> thinking about <laughs> death. Yeah. You go, like, it's not that far away. <laughs> That is. Um, <laughs> does, does that make you write uh, more? Or no, it makes me it... more. Makes me more depressed. No, it doesn't. Actually, it should. It should, kind of should go. God, the the time is limited. I really should stop masturbating and ruminating. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> no. But the thing uh, is, uh, no, I really should try and work, uh, write more. But you don't. I don't. Now, for me, I mean, the whole thing about the book. There's a few. There's a kind of a top and tailing about going to funerals of relatives and aunts and uncles. And of course, now, I mean, you know, I, my, my mum died December 2018 and she was 88. My dad died in 2005 and he was 75. Mm. So I suppose when you lose your parents, it's just a huge thing. I mean, you know, yeah. it's, and I know you, 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 your dad or your mum died tragically young. The thing is, because, you know, the, the wall that protects you is gone and you're kind of propelled into yeah. You're that. You're next in a way. You're next. Yeah. I mean, in the sense of the parents were always there. It's like it's like a screen. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm here and they're there and they're on the front line and then they're gone and you're going, OK, and I'm, you're being slowly pushed towards the front line. So, of course, it, it's and of course, I think once you hit a certain age, it's only natural to start thinking. Uh, what did Neil Young say? The road ahead is less than the road behind or something like that. Not in that accent, mind you, but something, <laughs> <laughs> something like that, you know? So, yeah. of course, it's, it, it's, it's, you, you think about it, of course. It's also, like, makes you feel like, you, you know, you kind of want to live forever. But then you go, but if I live forever, everyone I know will be dead. <laughs> Well, like, so in a in sense that must be really kind of sad when. But also, you, you, you are the one that keeps living. But well, yeah, it's, your, it's awful. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, my mom was very lonely at the end because all the people she knew were dead. So it's like it's like you know your clique, your contemporaries. And all of a sudden you're going, I don't really know anyone anymore. And also, I'd, so th- your points of reference aren't there anymore. Like me and you can talk about Brendan Boyer and have a bit of a laugh. Mm. But like, so 30 year olds ago. Who's Brendan Boy? Yeah. You know, in other words, points of reference, and that's a huge thing. You, we can make some obscure bunny car. <laughs> bunny car, you know. We yeah. see, but like, you know, Quicksilver or whatever, yeah. another one of these shows. You know, we know, we remember that being tortured by it. But like, so it's references, our generation, and we're much the same, or even slight people slightly younger than us, but much younger people wouldn't get it. And so that's the, that is one of the saddest things is when you get older and people, and of course, the older you get, the more people, you know, die, you know. Yeah. Anyway, on a, mm. uh, on, a, on a brighter note, pivoting. My father would always um, read the deaths, and mm. uh, I think there was a bit of satisfaction when somebody new died, because he's dead. <laughs> what age was he now? It's, he was only in his 60s. You know what I mean? Someone, yeah, my, my, uncle, my, my uncle Frank, he used to have a picture of his school, uh, taken when he was 16 in his school, and he'd be, he'd be there going, He's dead, he's dead, he's dead. And he'd be the only guy left, like, I'm still there. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he was proud in his own way that... 
dead, 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 dead. Yeah. There you go. Like there it, you go. it is. Top uh, of the class. Uh, it is mm. a kind of success in a way. It is longevity. Just longevity. Mm. Mm. You know, he might have he, very wealthy man, but he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> what good is it to him now? Um, anyway, look. I love. I haven't read. Uh, you have two other books, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I did one. I wrote one in two thousand and seven, called "The Creative Lower Being." And then I wrote one about three years ago called Juggling with Turnips, which is more of a short uh, comic, short fiction piece. So those more short stories. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I have three books out. I mean, look, they're out. It's not if anyone's buying them. Well, this out. one's brilliant. So I'm going to be looking for the other two for sure. Lovely. It's called A 58% Cabbage. It's, it's really good. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd recommend everybody to buy it. From, it doesn't have to be from a good bookshop. It can, it can be, be a mediocre from, bookshop. Yeah, 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 any bookshop. And also vegetable shops are, are stocking them. Ah, very good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Available at all good and mediocre bookshops and vegetable shops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for the chat. It was okay, great. lovely. Thanks for having me, Joe. And uh, 58% cabbage. Oh, no. Dermot there and uh, I was just thinking isn't it great to be back recording the podcast rather than uh, on proper equipment and face to face rather than on Zoom sounds a lot better I had to do it on Zoom for the last year and uh, it's fine but uh, it's good to be back on a good proper microphone and to be talking to someone face to face um I hope if you're younger, you that uh, some of those references, they sound like we sound like such old dudes talking about the past there. And uh, but uh, anyone who um, grew up or went to the uh, comedy cellar back in the day will know what we're talking about there. Um, it is uh, kind of weird when you start off as a young fella doing comedy, and now you're one of the old dudes. Um, that's time, I suppose. That's how it works. Well, I'm going to get back into doing these uh, podcasts now because I just feel the pressure of, uh, you know, uh, acclimatizing to third level education maybe has uh, waned a bit. And I'm used, I've got my head around it now and I know what I'm doing. So um, I can I can take that bit of time off to uh, interview and record and edit the podcast again. And, uh, yeah, so I'll be seeing you, talking to you soon. Thank you for tuning in and listening to Potter Rooney. Uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Bye. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today.